Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good. It's great to see you. Great to have you guys with us in the room. And those of you watching online as well, uh, great to have you with us. Um, Before we jump into the sermon this morning, I'd love to just take a moment, if I could, and just update you a little bit. Um, Last week... Here on Sunday, I asked if you would pray for me as this past week I began chemotherapy treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I asked specifically, would you pray for me that the side effects are minimal and that um, I'm able to tolerate it well and, and, and obviously for full healing. And I just want you to know God has answered that prayer big time. I feel great. Uh, I'm doing very well. And... Um, I wasn't sure, honestly, if I'd even be able to, to preach this Sunday, and so just to be here with you, there was a couple days where I felt not the greatest, but um, man, uh, compared to what could happen and the kind of side effects you can have to this, I'm so grateful, um, feeling great. Even my medical team has been kind of surprised at how well I've tolerated this. So um, I just want to take a minute and just say thank you. First of all, thank you for praying for me. Would you keep doing that? I realize I'm at the very beginning of um, this whole journey, and so I would love for you to continue to pray for me. Um, and I just want to say thank you for the, uh, for the constant just messages and comments and meals. People have cooked meals and sent cards and gifts, and uh, I'm just so blown away. My family and I have felt so incredibly loved during this time by you and by our, our church community. Even um, those of you who we haven't been able to see physically for a long time, we've gotten messages from people. So thank you so much. We are feeling that. And um, I'm, just, uh, I'm just so proud to be your pastor and so thankful I get to be up here today and, and bring this message. Honestly, this has been like uh, such, a, such a, a blessing already even this morning to be here. Um, so thank you for all that you've done with that. The only thing really uh, that changes for me is, and you know this, especially if you've come to Frontline for a while, I always kind of stay here and talk to people after service and pray with anybody who comes up. And um, I'm being told because I am, my immune system is suppressed, I, I need to be careful. And so uh, that's the only thing that's going to change. I'm not going to do that at the end of the service. It's not you, it's me, okay? <laughs> but uh, uh, Blake and David both will be here uh, at the end of this, um, on, at the stage at the end of the service for anybody who would like prayer uh, after, we, after the service is over. But um, anyway, all that being said, I don't deserve the kind of love and affection that I've gotten this past week, but I'm taking it. I'll take it. So <laughs> thank you all. Uh, with that being said, we're going to jump into the next church. We've been looking in this series called Jesus People at the seven letters that Jesus speaks to the churches in Revelation in these seven actual cities that we found archaeological sites for in our world today. And so today we are looking at the city of Thyatira, to the church in Thyatira is what we're looking at. Um, there were these movies that I loved when I was a kid I just absolutely loved. I watched them hundreds and hundreds of times. And when my boys were born and when they were really little, I was so excited to show those movies to my boys just because they meant something to me. I love these movies, so I wanted to show them and so they could experience these movies too. If you're a child of the 80s and 90s uh, like me, do you remember, how many of you remember this movie? 
right? The Goonies, right? This was one of my all-time favorite movies. I watched it hundreds of times as a kid. Hey, you guys, right? I mean, this is such a great movie. Um, go ahead to the next one, uh, Home Alone. How many of you, this is like your favorite Christmas movie? <laughs> okay, I'm old enough where I actually can remember seeing this in the movie theater, that's how old I am. I couldn't wait to show my kids Home Alone and The Goonies and other movies. And here's what happened. As I was showing them these movies, as I was watching these movies with them that I had seen hundreds of times, I was shocked at all the swear words and the sexual references. And just like in general, just the inappropriate things are in those movies. To the point where I was just kind of like, how did I miss that? I don't remember that being in there. Has any other parent had this experience at all where you're showing your kids movies you've seen hundreds of times? You're like, how did, how did I forget about that? Here's how I forgot that that stuff was in there. The, the reason I forgot it was in there was because what I was willing to tolerate for myself as a kid was very different than what I was willing to tolerate as a parent watching that with my children, right? My level of tolerance for myself personally as a kid was, was a very different matter than my level of tolerance as a parent. It was Craig Rochelle, I think, who said it first. He's a pastor. He said, you cannot change what you are willing to tolerate. That's true personally in our lives. That, that's true in your home. That, that's true in your work or in your school and the environment in, w- in which you live. You cannot change what you are willing to tolerate. Is there anything in your life right now that you're tolerating? Any area that you know, like you're you're tolerating some things that probably you shouldn't be. This idea of what we're willing to tolerate is the main focus of Jesus' message to the church in Thyatira. It's the main thing that that he brings front and foremost in his message to the church in Thyatira. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So if I could, let's go for a moment back to ancient Thyatira. Travel with me, if you will, to ancient Thyatira. Here's uh, what we know about Thyatira in the ancient Roman world. Again, these were all very, you know, places where we have archaeological sites. We know where these cities were. Uh, Thyatira was a city of about 25,000 people. So it wasn't the mega city like Ephesus or Smyrna, some of those kind of cities. But what we know about Thyatira is it was a manufacturing city city. It was, it was kind of a center or a hub for manufacturing. So think Detroit or Pittsburgh, think that kind of a, a city, only maybe like a smaller version of that. So uh, metal workers um, were, were present there, um, leather workers, pottery, uh, wool and cloth workers. I mean, those were the kind of the things that were, were prominent there in the city of Thyatira. So when you think Thyatira, think blue collar, uh, think hardworking people. That, that's the kind of city this was. And so Jesus is speaking to the church there in Thyatira, and these are the words that he speaks to them. This is Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time 
to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Okay, so pretty intense. If we just hit the pause button for a second, there's actually more to this letter. In fact, the letter to Thyatira was the longest and the most scathing, intense letter of all the seven letters that Jesus wrote to this little church in this little town of 25,000 people, this manufacturing city. So, so if we could, we'll just hit the pause. And the way a lot of these letters read is they read kind of like a criticism sandwich. You guys know about the criticism sandwich, right? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It's like if you're giving someone feedback, you start with like the top bun. That's like the good thing. Hey, you did this well. And then you get to the meat in the middle. This is kind of the part you need to work on. And then it wraps up with the bottom bun with the like, hey, this is the part you did good. So Jesus begins with this, hey, I want to commend you for some things. And he begins, he says, I want to commend you for your love and your faith. Now, you know, compare that to Ephesus. If you were here for the letter to Ephesus where he said, you've lost your first love. They've, they've kept their love and their faith. Uh, he goes on, he says, I, I want to commend you for your service and perseverance. Remember Smyrna? The letter to the Smyrna, he said, remain faithful. You got to remain faithful. So to, to Thyatira, he's saying, look, you're doing it. You're remaining faithful. You're persevering. And he says, you're doing more than you did at first. You're growing in these things, in following after me. Jesus is commending them for these things. So what is the deal then with this intense confrontation Jesus has for the church in Thyatira? He says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet and she leads my people into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Sexual immorality there, the Greek word for that term, sexual immorality, is the Greek word porneia. Anybody have a guess what English word we have that comes from the Greek word porneia? He says, this woman Jezebel, you're tolerating her, leads my people into sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols. So, so the first question we've got to ask then is, who is Jezebel, <laughs> Right? Uh, what a name too, Jezebel. Any of you pregnant ladies out there looking for baby girl names? That's a great one right there. Jezebel, who is she? Here, there's all kinds of different ideas uh, scholars have of who Jezebel was. I'll tell you what I think and what other, other scholars uh, believe. I don't think that, that she was a literal person, but I think she's a figurative reference to somebody else that appeared in the Old Testament of the Bible. We've heard the name Jezebel before in the scriptures. So Jezebel was actually uh, Queen Jezebel in the Old Testament. She was married to King Ahab. And the thing, during the time of Elijah is when she lived. And so uh, the thing that Queen Jezebel was known for in the Old Testament was she was known for leading God's people into Baal worship. Now, Baal was a fertility god. And the way you would worship a fertility god in the Old Testament is you would engage in any and every kind of sexual immorality you could possibly think of. I mean, if you can think it up and dream it up in whatever depraved act, they were doing it. That's what it was. And so she was known for leading God's people into sexual immorality. And so a lot of people think that she's not, when he says you're, you're tolerating that woman Jezebel, he's not talking about an actual literal person in Thyatira, he, but he's saying uh, she's, she represents a spirit. The same thing is happening. 
The same spirit that was happening with Queen Jezebel and Baal worship is happening in the church in Thyatira. The same thing is happening. My people are being led astray. They're tolerating this sexual immorality and engaging in it and food sacrifice to idols. So what was going on in Thyatira? What do we know about Thyatira that would help us understand what he's referencing here? Here's what we know. What we know about Thyatira is that Thyatira was the headquarters for ancient trade guilds in the Roman world. So they were kind of like the capital city for all the trade guilds that that functioned in the Roman world. They were on a a major trade route, and that was kind of what they were known for. Again, I told you they were blue-collar, manufacturing town. Now, a trade guild was basically like a co-op for buying and selling and worship and culture. It it was where all your business relationships were connected and and lied. And so uh, what we found is that like, you know, the the trade guilds were basically divided up by industry. And so whatever area you were in, you knew all the people in your trade guild and you had close relationships with them. In fact, um, we found there was all these multiple inscriptions to the different trade guilds that have been found in Thyatira. So this is an inscription to wool workers people who worked in wool and cloth. Uh, Some of you may remember in the book of Acts, uh, Lydia, who was uh, a convert of Paul's in in the book of Acts, it says she was a purple cloth maker, a dealer from Thyatira. So you had these divided up by industry, all these different trade guilds, and each one of these trade guilds had a pagan god that they worshiped. And so what you would do is you would get together in your trade guild and you would have this feast And you would worship this pagan god and you would eat the food that was sacrificed to the idol. And you say, well, what's what's the matter with that? That doesn't sound so bad. Uh, These trade guild feasts were basically like frat parties. Okay? In fact, fraternities are actually descended from the idea of, of trade guilds. So any kind of drunken sexual immorality you can think of, that's what was going on at these trade guild feasts. And I mean, everybody was participating in it. I mean, as sexually immoral as you can possibly imagine. But here's the problem. Your trade guild, if you were a Christian in Thyatira and you were part of a, you know, that, this manufacturing city, your trade guild was also your network. Uh, it was all your business relationships were connected to it. Um, your com- it was your community all your kids, your family, like that's all the relationships they knew and that everybody kind of functioned in. And so you see kind of the difficult, sticky situation Christians in Thyatira were in in this time. And so basically what's happening, what Jesus is referencing here is, is that these Christians were basically compromising their faith in order to fit in when it came to their business. And Jezebel probably represents the leader or the head of these trade guilds that were there on Thyatira. And that's what's happening. That's what Jesus is speaking to. It turns out Jesus actually really does care what we're formed by. He cares about sexual purity in our lives. He cares about our, our standards of integrity and character in, in our lives. He cares about that. So if we could, let's leave ancient Thyatira for a moment and let's travel to America in 2021, shall we? Let, let's talk about us. Let's talk about our world and the world we live in right now. If, if you think about the sexual ethic of our culture, of our world today, it could be, it's, it's summed up, it's described, and you all have heard this statement in this statement, 
Uh, it's my body, it's my choice, right? We know that phrase. It's my body, it's my choice. That's the sexual ethic of our culture that we live in today. Nobody has the right to tell me what's right or wrong for me and for my body sexually. And, you know, in a sense, that's kind of true. I mean, God gave us free will. He gave us the space, you know, to decide that for ourselves, what we're going to do with our bodies. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you surrendered your life to Christ and you're a Christian, Paul in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 6.20, he actually sums up the Christian sexual ethic if you're a follower of Jesus. And Paul said, my body is not my own. I've been bought at a price. Therefore, I'm going to honor God with my body. It's not my body, my choice. I get to do, you know, it's no, actually your body's not your own. You were bought at a price at the, at the blood of Christ at the cross. And therefore, we honor God with our bodies. That's the, the Christian sexual ethic. And it's essentially what Jesus is saying to this church in Thyatira is he's saying, it's Jezebel or it's me. You got to pick. You can't do this thing. You know, one foot over here, one foot over here, and just try it. It's, it's either Jezebel or it's me. Which one is it going to be? Now, if I could... Uh, before we go any further, and if you're, you're watching online, I just want to take a moment, just take a time out here for a second. Before we go any layers deeper into this, I just want to stop here right now and say, I want you to hear my desire here is not to bring judgment or condemnation to anybody in this room or anybody watching online. Um, I've got too much sexual brokenness in my own life to do that. I've got so, too much sexual brokenness in my own past. And if you've been coming to Frontline for a while, you know about that. I've talked about it. I've, I've, I've shared some of that with you. So there is no desire in me to, to, you know, be judgmental and condemning of anybody for their sexual ethic that they're living. Whatever has happened in your life, whatever has been in your past, whatever you're living in right now, whatever sexual ethic you embrace, the desire here is not to be judgmental and condemning, but here's something that I've learned because of my own sexual brokenness, because of my own struggles and my own past. What I know is that I don't and you don't and we don't tend to drift into sexual purity in our lives. We don't. We, our natural human drift, the natural human tendency of our lives is to drift into sexual immorality. It's to drift into uh, things that can enslave us. That's our natural drifts as, as human beings. We have to actually make a decision and decide. It's a choice we make. We have to decide to live by God's standards, to live by the Christian sexual ethic. My body is not my own. I've been bought at a price. Therefore, I honor God with my body. He, he's the one that has the highest moral authority in my life. So how are we doing with that <laughs> as the church? In America today, how, how are we doing with embracing that? I, I want to show you, you can go ahead to that infographic. There, uh, Pew Research Center just recently did a huge survey on sexuality and um, Christians and sexuality and our culture and sexuality. Don't, don't try to read all of that, okay? I'll just give you a, some of the highlights. Uh, what Pew found was that 57% of U.S. adults who identify as Christians and who attend church at least once a month believe that sex in a committed relationship is sometimes or always acceptable. 49% of, of Christians think that casual sex, which they defined as two consenting adults not in a committed relationship, is also acceptable. But the one that actually really blew my mind 
uh, was this one. It said 19% of Christians, so that's one in five, said it was okay to have sex on the first date. Okay, so our natural drift is to tolerate the sexual ethic of our culture. As Christians, our natural drift is toward tolerating whatever is the sexual ethic of our culture. So let's talk about the cultural moment that we're in. Because we're in a very interesting cultural moment when it comes to sexuality and and the church. Uh, Today, the cultural moment we live in, the highest value of our society, of our culture, is tolerance. And the only thing we don't tolerate is intolerance. That's, that's literally the statement. I know there's problems reasonably with that, but that is literally how it is. Tolerance is the highest value, and we will tolerate anything but intolerance. And so here's what's changed, or here's what happens. If you, if you grew up in the 90s like me, if, like when Goonies was a big movie and stuff, and when you, if in the 90s, like if you were to talk about the Christian sexual ethic in your school uh, in your place of employment, in your work or, or whatever, you know, my body's not my own. I've been bought at a price. I honor God with my body. You know, sex is for, uh, within the context of marriage between a man and a woman. If you talked about that in the 90s, what you would get from people is like, that's lame. That's cheesy, <laughs> you know, or you're a goody goody. You know, that's what people would say to you. Or, you know, that's puritanical. They'd make fun of you, but, but basically it was viewed as, as the more uh, moral view. The Christian sexual ethic was kind of held to as the moral view, but every, people would kind of tease you about it. Well, in the cultural moment we're in right now in America, where tolerance has become the highest value, now when you talk about the Christian sexual ethic in your school or in your work or wherever it is, what people say is, oh, that's oppressive. That's oppression. That's abusive. That... That's bigotry. And that is much closer to what the people in the church in Thyatira and the society they lived in were facing. You got to understand if you were part of this trade guild, your entire industry, your entire business relationship, your network, it all resided in there. If you came and you said, Hey, I'm not going to be a part of these trade guild feasts anymore. You know, my body's not my own. I've been bought at a price. I belong to Christ now. I'm going to honor him with my body. The response of your neighbors, your friends, your business, uh, you know, colleagues would have been like, What is the matter with you? You're withholding you know, good things from your, from your community. You're not a part of us anymore. Uh, you know, they would not have viewed your view as the more moral view. They would have thought their view was the more moral view, and they would have thought something was wrong with you. And what we're experiencing today is much closer to that. It's hard to be a Christian in Thyatira. It's hard to be a Christian in that sort of place. And so the question is, how does Jesus respond to this? How does Jesus respond to this church? He says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. She's leading my people into sexual immorality. How does Jesus respond to what's happening with the church? Uh, You may have missed it when we were reading it. What it says, he says, I have given her time to repent. Make no mistake about it, Jesus' first response is grace. It's always grace. I have given her time to repent. Time is grace. 
I think it's Psalm 103 that says, uh, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. God's first move always in our lives when we're living in a way that's not in line and in tune with him uh, is always to give us time. He says, I've given her time to repent. I have this uh, phrase I use with my boys. Uh, I have four boys, and as they've gotten older, over the years, I've used this phrase so many times that I almost don't even hear myself saying it anymore. So what happens is it's, you know, we're supposed to get in the van to leave to go to school or to go wherever it is. It's 6.15, and so it's 6.05, and, and, you know, they're still sitting there playing Minecraft on the computer. I have one son in particular who I've said this to him more than because he, he struggles with transitions. And so it's time for bed, right? It's almost time for bed. It's 10 minutes till bedtime. He still hasn't brushed his teeth. He hasn't gotten his pajamas on. He has, and he's just sitting there. And I, I'll say, here's the phrase. I'll say, hey, buddy, gently and, and kindly, I'll come up and I'll say, hey, buddy, it's time to get ready. It's later than you think it is. <laughs> That's the phrase. It's later than you think it is. It's 6.05. We got to be in the van leaving to go to school. You're still sitting there playing Minecraft. Hey, buddy. Hey, time to get ready. It's later than you think it is. Uh, a couple weeks ago when I got the news that uh, the cancer had returned and that I was going to need to go, to, uh, go into chemotherapy, I was in that week b- between where uh, every other day, I'm at the hospital getting another test done. So I'm going in for a bone marrow biopsy. I'm going in for a PET scan. I'm going in for all these different things. And it was in that week, I was at home, I w- and I was doing the thing I always do. I was talking to my son. He's sitting there playing Minecraft on the computer, and he's not getting ready. It's 10 minutes before bedtime. And, and so I, I walked up gently behind him, and I, I said, Hey, buddy, it's t- you got to get off the computer. It's time to get ready. It's later than you think it is. And as soon as the phrase came out of my mouth, a phrase I've said so many times, I, can't, I don't even hear myself say it anymore. As soon as it came out of my mouth, just like that, I felt the voice of, the heaven, of my heavenly father speak to me. Not in an audible voice. I didn't hear an audible voice, but just in, in that still place. And what I heard my heavenly father say to me in that moment was, Brian, that's exactly what I'm saying to you right now. In the midst of this treatment, with the news of this, it's later than you think it is. Not in like a threatening way, not not to be mean, but like a loving father would say to their, like I say to my sons, gently, it's later than you think it is. You think you've got all this time. You think you've got all this space, all this time. It's later than you think it is. Because the truth of the matter is, I get distracted too. For me, it's not Minecraft. Uh, but for me, some of the things that I choose to entertain myself with are not always the most God-honoring some of the selfish pursuits of my inner world and my heart and my motive threaten to destroy my marriage, my family, my ministry. You know, I thought I was fully devoted before a couple weeks ago. But, but what I've become aware of, even just in the last week and a half or so, is that there are still parts of my heart that have not been totally burned away and are not fully devoted to Jesus. It's later than you think it is. 
Is there anywhere in your life where the voice of the Father, not in a mean way, not in a threatening way, but is speaking to you saying, it's later than you think it is? What are you tolerating? See, a lot of times these things happen, these sort of interruptions happen in our lives, right? Our plans get thwarted, some interruption happens, and a lot of you hear people say it all the time. People will say things like, oh man, why is God doing this to me? You know, why is this bad thing happening to me? And oftentimes, that's not what it is. It's his grace to you. It's his mercy to you. It's him giving you time to repent. It's him calling you to wake up. It's him, you know, giving you some interruption in your life that kind of makes you wake up and realize, oh, it's much later than I think it is. He gives us time. But then, make no mistake about it, after he says, I've given her time to repent, to talking to this church, he says, but judgment and suffering are coming. You don't have forever. Time eventually is going to run out. Judgment is eventually going to come. We're not just sitting here for the rest of our lives, for the rest of eternity, just hanging out. He goes on. I told you it was like a criticism sandwich. This is, this is the last part of the bun. This is the final thing. He says, he wraps it up by saying, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule over them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he wraps up by just saying, hold on to what you have until I come. He says, because you're not here forever. It's not like we, we just, the time eventually will run out. And he's, and he's encouraging this church to those who have not bought into this. And he, he says, hold on to what you have until I come. And in that, <laughs> what we see is the gospel message perfectly encapsulated. Because the gospel message, when you really understand it, when you really let the, the, the gospel message penetrate your heart, what you realize is that the gospel will do two things simultaneously to you. It will comfort you, and at the exact same moment, it will offend you. The gospel message, when you, if you really understand it, if you're not a little bit offended this morning, I'm not sure you're fully grasping the gospel message. Because when you get it, 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 it comforts you, it lifts you up. And it simultaneously, it offends you. It, it, it brings you down. It comforts you because there is hope in the person of Jesus that this world, this life isn't all there is. And that no matter what we deal with, no matter what we suffer, no matter what we endure in this world, in the end, it will be worth it because of Jesus' death and his resurrection and the life he, he procured for us. I love the way the 18th century uh, preacher Jonathan Edwards put it. I love this. He said, in Christ, our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away from us. And the best is yet to come. The gospel affirms you. It, It lifts you up. It comforts you. But at the same time, it offends you. Because it claims that we have to repent of our way 
And we have to renounce the evil that's within ourselves, that's within our society, that's within our school, within our work, that's all around us. And we have to actually turn ourselves over to Jesus as the highest moral authority of our lives. And so, so it both comforts us and it offends us at the exact same time. And so I'll leave you with this. If, if you hear nothing else I say today, if, if you've you know, gone through this whole message, if you get nothing else, hear me say this. Because I, I, I did not come today to tell you, uh, you know, here's, here's how to have the perfect sexual ethic. I didn't come here to bring judgment and condemnation for you. I don't know what currently is going on in your life. I don't know what sexual ethic you hold to. I don't know what's been in your past. I didn't come to tell you how to have a perfect sexual ethic. What I came to tell you is there is great hope for sinners like me and like you when we put our trust and our faith in the person of Jesus while there is still time. So check your pulse. If you're still breathing, there's still time. He's not done with you yet. There's time to repent. That's his grace. That's his mercy to you. And so the final thing to just leave you with is it's later than you think it is. You think you've got all this time. It's later than you think it is. And so can I give you some advice? We're all sexually broken, every single one of us. Surrender. Surrender. If there's something you need to repent of, do it today. Do it now. Don't wait. If there's something you need to give over to Jesus, a part of your life that you've just been white-knuckle gripped with, you're not fully devoted, do it. Do it now. If, there, if you need to ask for help, I, I, I've had to. Do it today. Do it now. Don't wait. It's later than you think it is. Would you bow your heads? So Jesus, we just come to you. This is a hard word today. And yet in the midst of it, God, uh, we hear the message of grace. Every single person that can hear the sound of my voice right now, my brothers and sisters, you've given us time. In your grace, in your mercy, maybe you've interrupted our lives. Maybe something's happened that's shaken us up a bit. God, would you allow it this morning not to be the voice of judgment and condemnation, but like a father speaking to their child, it's later than you think it is. Would you allow us to hear your voice? God, wherever we need to repent, wherever we need to turn, wherever we need to surrender, we do it now. We do it now. We entrust our lives to you. God, we thank you that for the gospel, this message that both comforts us and offends us, but offends us because you love us. Uh, so God, we truly are yours. Would you help us to walk in your ways? Would you help us to walk in, in the freedom of knowing you? And God, we'll trust you with the rest. We'll leave the rest up to you because of this incredible and wonderful promise and hope that we have for all of eternity. 
We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray and everybody said.